Hello, everyone, and we are back with another Boxing Hipster Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen the Warman. You can find me on Twitter at Stephen the Warman. Uh, you can also file, <clears throat> find me on Instagram at the same name. Uh, joining me, as always, is the man, uh, the stream master, the <clears throat> boxing hipster himself, Ryan Scalia. Say what's up to the people. What's up, people? You can find me on Twitter, R-I-A-N-5-C-A. And we got it, folks. And we got it. The fight that we wanted, uh, it was rumored that it was going to happen last year, that it was made official last year, uh, that both would go ahead and take one fight before it happened officially, you know, uh, officially uh, in September. But it was rumored for a long time, rumored that the deal was done for a long time. And then right afterwards, we find out without question, 100%, we will have Sal Canelo Alvarez go against Gennady Golovkin. For the true 160-pound champion of the world, I guess the winner of that will be, you know, right now I think Triple G is considered the undisputed. Uh, I, I mean, you can dispute, of course, because there's title holders out there, but I think he's considered the guy. And then we're going to have him with Sal Alvarez. Now, we're not going to go ahead and get the fight breakdown or anything like that, um, but uh, we will definitely talk about that in full. But before this was able to happen... Uh, Canelo Alvarez had a sparring session to go through first, where he goes 12 rounds with Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. Um, the crowd was there. People got behind him. HBO did a good job of hyping it. Uh, I've seen that little video that they put up all over the place. Uh, we just didn't get the, the performance that we were thinking. Um, what were your thoughts just on the, the scene and the letdown? We didn't talk about the fight. Just the scene and the letdown that you felt watching uh, Chavez Jr. versus Sal Alvarez. Yeah, I mean, well, obviously when the main selling point in the fight is, you know, two Mexicans and two guys who don't like each other, you know, you're expecting a fight. But, uh, you know, there's kind of two things. The, the skill difference was just too big and uh obviously chavez jr was affected by the weight you know but i think it's it's more so the skill difference was just way too big because chavez jr just looked completely completely lost in there um but at the same time the fight was highly successful you know the rumors about that are coming out about the amount of pay-per-view buys that it did are you know very high i mean Dan Rayfield said uh, did over a million buys, which is insane, impressive. That is for this day for this day and age in boxing. That's really good. And then you, the main event of the pay per view was uh, the announcement of the Canelo Triple G fight. So yeah, <laughs> builds into a bigger and much better thing. Let's go ahead and talk about Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. Let's not. It's easy to jump on him, you know. Of course, there's there's been some very very funny memes out there that have been on full load, you know full attack. Let's talk about him and his performance. He said something interesting after the fight, and I heard something interesting in the corner. So I'll go ahead and and have you uh, assess it. Now, for the most part, I do not speak Spanish, but I do have a good understanding of the Spanish that I hear in corners because it stays in my world of boxing. Uh, the you know the uh, um, interpreter brought it up that. Originally, in the middle of the rounds for the first five, it seemed like they were determined to have Julio Cesar Chavez fight in the center. So I would like you to address that. And then also, the more interesting thing for me was something that Chavez Jr. said at the end of the fight. He said that whenever he had backed Alvarez up to the ropes, he said that he was supposed to throw some shots, 
but he wasn't supposed to get careless and letting his hands go for fear of the counter coming back. He then said it wasn't his style, but he was trying to go with the game plan. Now, as soon as you hear that, you see how he performed, your first thought is, uh, whatever, dude. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's, that's kind of your, your first thought. With that said, I know as a fact that Manny Pacquiao went into the Mayweather fight under the same understanding of let the shots go when he goes to the ropes, but don't go too crazy because he's going to sit on a counter. There's an understanding that the guy was more skilled and that the counter could really put you down and really hurt you. Do you give any credibility whatsoever towards the idea that Nacho Berenstein for sure wanted him to fight in the middle? And despite seeing him lose consistently, and Nacho did say in round six, you got to start punching more. Let's go ahead and I'll, I'll throw that in there too. But uh, do you give any credibility to perhaps they, they wanted to start the fight the wrong way or they decided to start the fight the wrong way? And then do you give any credibility to the idea that perhaps maybe Chavez was trying to be cautious when he would normally be reckless? Yeah, I mean, I think from the beginning, just Nacho was the wrong fit for... Chavez Jr., Nacho's style of fighters are completely different from the way Chavez Jr. fights. Um, And they can do things that Chavez Jr. simply can't do and simply isn't going to learn in in five months or so. So, you know, obviously Nacho has his way. And, uh, you know, if Chavez Jr. bought into that way, it was was really never going to work. the way he was going to win this fight was just by, you know, pressuring the hell out of Canelo if he could even manage to pull it off. But it seemed that he didn't really, he didn't really believe that he could do that, especially, I mean, when the opening bell rang, Chavez was backing up right away. So it didn't seem like, you know, he thought he could really do that. But then again, he looked completely lost trying to box. So... Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it comes down to, you know, Nacho's not a good fit for Chavez Jr. And Chavez Jr. really didn't have the belief to, you know, implement the right kind of fight. You know, you said something really interesting that I actually really like a lot. This idea that, you know, because of the Mexican, you know, heritage and the Mexican history and what people think of when they think of a Mexican prize fighter, uh, even when you think about Triple G and they, uh, you know, the whole idea of I'm Mexican style, people have this idea that they're all in the pocket bangers, you know, like, uh, and the best, you know, Mexican boxing coach is going to be a guy who builds off of that, makes you a Mexican banger as well. But in truth, if you look at it, you know, there is, uh, uh, Juan Manuel Marquez, I'll say, is the most successful uh, recent uh, natural Berenson guy. Is that safe to say? Um, and he's a skilled boxer. You know, like he's a guy who's got skilled boxing technique. He's not really a guy who sits in the pocket and bangs it out. There are no Brandon Rioses in his camp that I know of off the top of my head. So I definitely think that you, you make really good points there. Um, let's go ahead and switch to Canelo Alvarez. As you said it before, he was just too skilled. I mean, he set the, the immediately, early in the fight, the, the commitment to the body work. Like, once he realized Chavez ain't really blocking anything, he started to eat him up to the body. Um, his combinations and his punch selection, more than anything, really, really. So, I, I mean, he's a special fighter. I really like watching him 
fight. I don't necessarily feel that he is as skilled as he is. I don't feel like he's a super athlete. I think he's a good athlete, but not a super athlete. But I just really think it's shot selection, sits down and punches the right way. Uh, that pull counter that, that you know, shook Chavez's head, that really got people going. Uh, not to mention, man, was he snapping the jab against the bigger guy. Uh, shout out to Roy Jones Jr., who actually did a pretty good job of, of, of noticing, you know, that the consistency in which the shorter guy was able to win it. But as we said before, Chavez Jr. isn't really a guy who, who, you know, is that kind of a boxer for a tall guy. What are your thoughts on Sal Alvarez's performance? Yeah, I mean, all things considered, you know, he completely, completely dominated the fight. Um, even though he was more or less fighting a punching bag, basically, just because, you know, Chavez barely did anything and, you know, didn't really believe in himself enough to do anything. But uh, he looked really, really sharp. Um, he's made, you know, he's made a lot of improvements over the years. But I, I think this does show that, you know, obviously, Chavez Jr., for all his faults, he's durable. He can take a beating. You know, I think we all know that. But um, I think, I don't think Canelo is the big puncher that a lot of people say he is. Um, I mean, if you see, he generally, you know, aside James Kirkland, you know, he's always been chinny and... and uh, Amir Khan as well. Yeah, Amir Khan. Um, you know, Liam Smith, he had landed, like, he basically broke him down. Like, that was more of an ac- accumulation in the Liam Smith fight. And so, and especially now at middleweight, you know, I don't, I don't think Canelo is like the biggest puncher, but he hits hard enough to get your respect. I definitely think that, um, uh, you know, on all counts, that he is most. I would even say the Con KO wasn't so much a power of product of having big time, you know, power. As far as I felt like it was big time timing, you know, like just a really, really great shot, great time. Um, Let's go ahead and go to to game plan. Let's say you, uh, you know, we talk about Chavez and maybe that the fit wasn't right. And this is something that that is a familiar theme on the, you know, Boxing Hipster podcast, just the relationship, you know, the relationship between coach and what's trying to be accomplished and so on. Uh, It's a theme that we talk about a lot. I thought for sure the thing that would make this interesting as people talk about the weight was... If you're going to lose those first four rounds, I thought without question we would have Chavez, uh, you know, walk Sal down. Who cares if he loses the rounds? Who cares if he gets some warnings? Lay on him, hug on him, you know, uh, be, you know, a physical guy, a grueling guy. Make him carry you for a little bit and then build on your advantages later in the fight. Now, again, it needs to be said he didn't have the physical tools that we would think, or excuse me, um, the physical tools of being bigger may have been taken away by the fact that the weight cut was a bit much for him. Um, you know, despite the fact that he made it clean, doesn't necessarily mean that he made it good, you know. Uh, game plan-wise, what were you expecting from Chavez? Did you expect him to be a little bit rougher, grab on a little bit, wait his time, walk him, walk him down, walk down? Uh, because even if we go back to the Martinez fight, I really didn't feel like he did that. I felt like he just kind of, Stayed around, you know, walked down, eight shots, eight shots, found offense here and there, let his hands go when uh, the few moments of that, Mar- you know, Martinez was on the ropes. And then in round 12, he was finally able to catch him. Here, I thought that he didn't show either guy. Like, he didn't show the walk down guy. 
He didn't use the, you know, the weight advantage. He didn't grab. He didn't get ugly. He didn't pull on the head. He didn't, you know, tie up the arms. He didn't do things to drain a younger, stronger guy uh, in his prime. What would you have liked to see from Chavez to at least be competitive, if not successful? Well, I mean, I thought Chavez was just going to come out there and try to keep coming and pressuring the whole fight. And, you know, obviously he barely even did that at all. Even when he had Canelo up on the ropes, he was barely even throwing you. He was throwing some really half-hearted uppercuts. You know, they weren't really real punches. They were just kind of setups, but it was really, you know, really half-hearted every single thing he did. Um, being that tall, I mean, you definitely want to at least use your jab to try and close the distance and uh, keep Canelo reeling, but he just didn't do any of that. The way he was going to win this fight was by using his size and physicality. And, uh, you know, he didn't do that at all. So after the fight's over with, we go to uh, Max Kellerman. He starts to do the breakdown. And he says, you're going to be fighting this guy. Uh, cue of the screen. The room goes dark. Uh, pops up on the screen. Uh, already queued up video screen uh, play of Triple G. Uh, he then plays his, gets his music played, and he walks down to the ring as if he's about to fight, which was awesome. Uh, it's a big-time win for HBO there. Gets in there, and it's announced that the fight is official, and it's going down in September, um, which, of course, it's, it ruffles a few things. Uh, for those of you who uh, were holding your breath, wink, wink, for Conor McGregor and Mayweather, it's looking like the big September bout will be the fight between the biggest... Um, I'd say the record, the streak, the uh, the aura of Triple G against the biggest pay-per-view draw in the sport in Sal Alvarez. Um, the fight finally comes together, and uh, the whole video presentation and all that, I'm not saying that they thought that there was a really good chance that Canelo Alvarez was going to win the fight. I'm just saying that they knew Canelo Alvarez was going to win the fight because that was just too well put together. Too like too precise. It's almost one of those things where it's like, what if the fight had been close? You know, what, I mean? <laughs> what if the fight had been close and gone Alvarez's way? Would people be going crazy when they saw the whole video screen queued up? It's almost like Canelo did them a favor. So afterwards, you know, a lot of people had said this, uh, uh, so it's not new news. But what was your thoughts on the whole presentation of the announcement of the big fight for September and what's turning out to be one of the great years of boxing in the last fifteen years? Yeah, I thought it was great, you know. You need to add a little bit of spectacle to it sometimes, and it worked because, uh, you know, the buzz for this fight is absolutely massive, and it's only going to get bigger. It's the best fight you can make in boxing. So I think uh, what they did, you know, was definitely appropriate. I'd actually like to see more stuff like that in boxing. Okay, so before we move on and talk about the undercard, I guess the uh, we know what's next for Saul Alvarez. What's next for Julio Cesar Chavez Jr.? I did crack the joke that, uh, and we'll get into a little bit later, that Marco Reyes should have fought Alvarez and uh, Chavez Jr. should have fought David Lemieux. Do you like the idea of a Chavez-Lemieux fight? Well, I mean, I don't really think uh, Chavez Jr. deserves it. Or I don't think Lemieux is going to leave 160 because he can fight the winner of you know Canelo and Golovkin possibly, mm -hmm. or you know stick around to get in that mix. But as far as 
NHL. As Junior goes, um, I mean, he's probably just going to be, you know, B-side to some names, I suppose. Uh, I, I imagine he'll probably come back later in the year, get a soft touch, you know, get a win back, and then fight someone at super middleweight. You know, and that's that's pretty much it. And he'll probably lose <laughs> to you know, because he's he's just a yeah. a name opponent at this point. But he made like a ton of money for sure for, for sure for and, this fight. And he so. didn't have a bad career. You know, like if we were, to, you know, I mean, like if you were to look at it, and of course, like I said, there were a lot of jokes that came out about you know his dad and that kind of stuff, whatever. But the aforementioned Marco Reyes. Uh, he beat Marco Reyes. Uh, he um, had the uh, Brian Vera win. Uh, I think a couple of them, if I remember correctly. Uh, Sergio Martinez last round. The Andy Lee win is still, I feel, the Andy Lee and the Marco Antonio Rubio wins are the best wins for him. Uh, I think that he, um, what am I, what am I, hold on, I got to go look to make sure. Sebastian Zvik, again, not great, but still. Um, Peter Manfredo, for those who like the Contender <laughs> Boxing Show, I think Chavez Jr. made some money, and if he didn't have his dad's name, if he was just a regular fighter, you know, I mean, clearly, just the money wouldn't have been what he, I mean, he wouldn't have made what he made, but I still think that he had a pretty good run. I think he did okay. If it's at the end, it's at the end. There's no way he was going to be his dad anyways. He could have won that last night and still would have been his dad, you know, so, um, good to know that, uh, uh, he was able to put some money away before he does whatever he's going to do next. Lucas Matisse comes back in a big way uh, uh, with uh, Joel Diaz and his uh, trainer. Uh, there goes a combination that looks like it's going to work out really well. Uh, he comes out and he beats Emmanuel Taylor and he beats the brakes off of Emmanuel Taylor. Emmanuel Taylor had some some entertaining moments with Bo- you know with Broner. He didn't have no th- no such thing here. He looked like he was. Put in there like like it looked like they found him off the street and put him in there. As far as the way his eyes and demeanor was, like this guy's way too good for me. I thought that this. I was actually glad that the stoppage finally came because I was afraid that Matisse was just gonna beat the life out of him for ten rounds. But then he landed some big shots, got him in trouble, TKO in the fifth. What was your thoughts on Matisse? Who I mean, he could get himself in and some sort of. Uh, um, there's a title belt at 147 that I wouldn't. Uh, be surprised if someone gave him the opportunity for uh, this was a big win for him. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's good to see that he's still got some left in the tank. You know, never going to lose the power. But uh, he was, you know, offensively, he was pretty sharp, you know. Um, Taylor is who he is, you know. He's uh, he's always going to come up short at that type of level, but he'll generally put up good fights. I mean, even when he wasn't getting hurt, you know, he was throwing back quite a bit and landing. You know, uh, Tise, I don't think his defense was really that great, you know, aside from just absorbing it on the gloves and arms and top of the head. But, you know, it didn't really have to be him. That's, that's really who he is, you know. He's going to get, you know, pretty far just on his his power and his offense. So there's definitely a lot of interesting fights for Matisse, and it's good that he's back to have another name in the mix. 
Marco Reyes was game uh, as David Lemieux really uh, took it to him for 10 rounds. It's one of my, uh, uh, it's one of those performances where people go, man, um, maybe they should have stopped it uh, at some periods of time because David Lemieux really brought the fight to him. Uh, I thought that for me, Reyes could probably make something of it if he could get himself out of the first four rounds, which, it, which was his game plan. He made no secrets about it get out of four and then turn it up. And I actually thought he had some success for a couple rounds. But just the power was just too much. Lemieux, uh, too strong for him. Um, you know, Reyes, of course, as it got towards the end, uh, it, was, it, was, it was clear that he was determined to fight to the end. And in round 10, he fought to win. Like, he really did let his hands go to the best of his ability. And again, he didn't have the, the gifts. He didn't have the tools that would be able to get a late stoppage. But I felt like he gave what, you know, um, Steve Kim has a really good term for it, professional resistance. I thought he really gave professional resistance uh, in round 10, so much so that I really thought that he took that round and really tried to win the fight, despite the fact that David Lemieux was just too big, too strong. Yeah. That's basically what it was, you know. Reyes is—he's no pushover. He's a—he's a decent fighter, but Lemieux just has so much power that when he lands one, it just sends—if it doesn't knock the guy out, it, it sends him completely reeling. And you know, he is who he is. You know, he's uh, always going to load up. He's always going to be fairly basic, but it works for him. And Reyes was able to, you know, land some pretty good stuff. But uh, just he's just not, you know, not good enough to beat a guy of Mew's caliber, even with as flawed as the Mew is. Ronnie Rios was able to get a victory over Danielle Noriega. Uh, question for you, Ronnie Rios, I believe has won five in a row now. Is there any question that he gets into a title picture of significance at 122 pounds, or maybe even 126? Yeah, I mean, I think he's pretty high in one of the sanctioning body rankings. Uh, I'm pretty pretty sure about that. You know, once this fight was at 122, so I imagine that's where he wants to go. You know, he's got to step up again. You know, he had that uh, that win over Jason Bayless, but um, lost to Robinson Castellanos and. He, he just looked completely off in that fight. But, you know, that was the only loss of his career. So I, I imagine his next fight is going to be a step up. You know, I don't think he's ever going to be a world champion. But um, he's more of like kind of just a TV guy that can, you know, be in a competitive fight against another fighter of a similar caliber or, you know, be like an opponent for a high-level opponent, eventually. And then finally, i just go ahead and throw one more in there. Marlon Esparza fights her second uh, fight. It feels like the second fight in a month. But uh, what was your thoughts on, you know, there? I thought this was a good place to use her. You know what I'm saying? Uh, clearly, don't worry about, you know, main carding her. That, that It's going to be a little while. She's going to take more time. She is not the, you know, we talked about it before. She's not Shields. She's not Taylor. Um, but what do you think about her being active and getting a victory on this, uh, you know, all me- you know, I won't say all Mexican show, but heavy Mexican undercard? Yeah, she fought three minute rounds, and it was pretty clear that she didn't know how to pace herself for 
three minute rounds because she was huffing and puffing really hard by by the end. But I mean, she's going to take a lot longer than some of the other ones just due to her style. And uh, don't forget to mention Jojo Diaz. Yes, yes. Sorry, I actually thought I did get it. So my fault. Go ahead and uh, uh, the way that I put it together in my notes, that is my fault. Please don't stab me, people. Please don't stab me. <laughs> Joseph Diaz gets a uh, one-sided victory over Mania via, via um, uh, 190 and then 99-91 on the two other cards. Uh, Joseph Diaz... Early on, he had some deceiving fights that may, might make you think he could punch a little bit better than uh, people were thinking going into it. But now it's clear that he is a very good boxer, a very tough guy, a uh, very skilled guy, but he's not going to have that kind of KO pop. Uh, but it doesn't mean he can't be champion. It doesn't mean he can't be a really good fighter. Uh, and, it, and you had mentioned it last week. If he's going to get stoppages, it's more because he beats guys up. Not so much more because he he hurts guys and then gets them out of there. Uh, what were your thoughts on him and this? Uh, uh, you know, he took care of business, but you know, uh, people will jump on you about the stoppage thing sometimes. Yeah, I mean, he completely dominated the fight against a decent guy. You know, I really thought he should have stopped him though, just because like if he would have just stepped it up, I think he could have got him out of there just by overwhelming him. But he didn't do it, you know, and I think. Uh, at this point, we've kind of seen what uh, his ceiling is, more or less. I mean, he's only 24 years old, which, you know, is still really, really young, but uh, it seems like he's kind of just plateaued, you know, as far as he, as far as who he is, what he's going to be. You know, he's just not going to ever be a, a puncher. You know, he's going to have to keep keep doing what he's doing and it's going to take him, you know, to contender level, which he's already at. But he's going to have his work cut out for him to win a world title because 126 is stacked. Go ahead and move on to Joseph Parker as he, um, you know, gets a United decision over Rose. Uh, Razvan Kujano, uh, 117-110 on two cards, 119-108 on the other. Um, Joseph Parker, of the world titleists in the world, and that includes, you know, and I mean, everybody's different, but that includes Wilder. I could see Parker having the most appeal if you are young up-and-comer. Like, he's skilled, but because he doesn't, you know, offer that, that KO threat. And I'm not saying that he can't punch, but I don't feel like he's a heavyweight, you know, killer. I feel like he just lands consistent, clean boxing, and uh, he's a decent athlete at the weight class. Uh, he'd be the guy that I go after. With that said, he took care of business against a guy who, you know, uh, um, not a lot of people expected a lot from. Uh, but Parker did the most important thing. He kept that, you know, kept the record clean. Uh, kept the, you know, opportunities like, you know, uh, uh, Bello uh, uh, available to him and um, makes himself a player. I'm not sure what's going to happen to, you know, Dante Wilder, but if Wilder's going to take an opportunity against any of the two the two bigger names out there, Parker would be the guy I go after. Yeah, definitely. That's why, you know, Bello's pushing so hard to fight him. You know, even though I think that fight... He doesn't really show who he is. You know, he got a late replacement opponent, and the guy, he was huge, you know? 
and Parker just couldn't couldn't really hurt him or get going for him. And he knew that he could just kind of coast his way to victory, so he didn't really have to go go through the gears, you know. He just kind of stayed in one gear the whole fight and did what he had to do to win it. So I don't really think it was indicative of where Parker's at. But one thing about Parker is he's been coming in 245, 246 his last two fights. He's got to come in at like 235 because um, his speed is one of his best assets and he's taken away from that and from his stamina by coming in that heavy. So I have a question for you. Um, is that okay? Is it okay for Joseph Parker to be like, man, that one's not, not that important. Let's go ahead and, uh, uh, you know, just get the W, look better in the next one because Joshua would never do that, you know. Uh, Joshua would, you know, take care of business and get you out of there. Lennox Lewis wouldn't do that. Do you think that it's okay that Parker would have that mentality because it's not the premier fight that he's looking for? Yeah, I mean, actually, it might actually work in that, you know, it really entices them to fight him now. Um, as far as looking good, I don't really think it mattered because it was just, it was in New Zealand, you know, um, late replacement opponent. And it, even if he knocked the guy out in the first round, it looked great. You know, it wouldn't really do much. You know, he knocked out a guy who everybody expected him to knock out. So I don't really think it mattered and he's definitely got to go outside of New Zealand for his next fight because they just can't meet uh, meet it financially, meet his fights financially and they took a big hit with this one so I definitely think that he's going to go over to the UK probably for sure. We go ahead, move on. We're going to go back to Vegas. Night before MGM uh, Grand Garden Arena, as we had Uriel, because basically we had, well, you know, uh, upset night, <laughs> uh, as Golden Boy made a promise that when they got on this, t- you know, station, of course, it's clearly a play on what's going on over there with uh, what PBC was going through for the first year. They're saying that when we put fights on, they're going to be good fights. The guys who we bring in to go against our guys aren't going to be nobodies. They're going to be people who come in, bring a good, t- you know, uh, tough fight. They're going to be guys who are fighting to win, not guys who are getting a, a check. Boy, did they accomplish that feat on this fr- this past Friday as Yuriokis Gamboa, clearly up there in years, comes out doing a you know a decent boxing you know a performance. Uh, look, you know, definitely more entertaining than the last fight. Right off the jump, a lot more exchanges, a lot more of him hanging out. Gets caught with an overhand right, and that just begins it. He goes down. I want to say he went down twice in that round. Gets up, starts to try to work his way back into the fight, and then he goes down again. And then he did something that I didn't think. A guy who I'd always credited for, say what you want about Gamboa, about him not being whatever you wanted him to be, about him not, you know, for a guy who is has is as amateur credentialed as he is, um, he was able to win a world title, wasn't able to beat any of the elite guys, despite the fact that, you know, he had a, a decent run. But, man, it's like he felt all the tools were gone, and a guy who at least got up every single time. Every time he went down, he got up or tried to get up. 
he stopped on the stool in between rounds. I was actually surprised. It's not when it happened that he called it when it was over with. When you're done getting hit, and this is this comes from a guy who coaches fighters for a living. When you're done getting hit, you're done. And if you wanted to stop in the middle of the round, I'm fine with it. it, it you, you do not have an obligation to keep getting hit uh, for some unspoken toughness because you're the one taking the hits. But once he had made the decision to get up and get through the round, it's almost like on the stool he made the decision that I don't have it anymore and I don't want to do this sport. And uh, he calls it after seven. Um, it was the typical Gamboa performance. Did you see this end coming? didn't surprise me, you know, because Robinson Castellanos is a good fighter, and he's pulled upsets before, and uh, you know, Gamboa is 35, and he hasn't looked good lately, so he was going to lose, he was going to lose eventually, and, you know, it just so happened that this one was it, you know, I didn't, I didn't hear this till after the fight, but uh, I heard from some people that... Gamboa was in Cuba three weeks ago drinking, so yeah, I didn't I didn't he, hear that until after the fight. But he took the fight serious, yeah. is what you mean? Yeah, really, really, really seriously, you know, <laughs> like the typical Gamboa way. So yeah, I mean, he did win a world title, and he was a good fighter for some time. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's not, he didn't have a bad career. It's just he didn't live up to expectations, and his expectations were sky high because. Mm. He was an Olympic gold medalist because he looked so good early in his career. Yeah, killing gas. Super hand speed definitely came out looking great. Um, it's so weird that Guillermo Rigondeau, uh, more successful as a pro, world title holder and so on, but I don't feel like he's even half as known as Yuriokas Gamboa is. Like, I feel like Gamboa, even in a failed run, put himself in the big fights and fought with the right kind of athleticism and recklessness and got some like memorable KOs to the point where people remember the guy who's not as good, uh, you know, far more than they remember the guy who's really, you know, it's, it's, I mean, maybe not action wise all the time, but, uh, uh, clearly, uh, Guillermo had, or is having the more successful pro run, uh, so I definitely think you did a good job of highlighting that man. Gamboa, Gamboa had some some good you know notoriety. He's somebody that we pay attention to. Going to go ahead and move down the line. Oh wait, I got to ask the question because it cra- it popped up as a joke for a lot of people. I, I and then I saw you post it as well. Oh, I know what it is. Yeah, the Wadama fight. <laughs> it's the perfect fight. Like first of all, it shouldn't be out of weight class. All right, <laughs> let them both go party and drink, and then just get in there and start hitting each other. What is your thoughts on some promoter putting that together somewhere? I'd love to see it. You know, it makes sense in uh, Puerto Rico. You know, Juanma's uh, um, last fight there against uh, Wilfredo Vasquez Jr. You know, it had a big crowd in the Coliseo Roberto Clemente. So, I think I think that fight would do well there, you know, because Juanma actually has some notoriety in Puerto Rico again after his uh, recent fight and then the fight with the trainer. So I think that's a good fight for both guys. You know, if you if you're going to be washed, you might as well fight someone else that's washed, and it can it's kind of a spectacle in itself, and it still has some notoriety to it. So. I think it's a good fight. Definitely agree on all fronts. Um, Abraham Lopez, uh, again, the A-side coming in 
Again, the A side going down. Jesus M. Rojas uh, gets him out of there in eight rounds. Um, talk about this fight and then talk about what it means when I say Golden Boy were true to the word. Oscar was true to his word. I'm not putting them in there with no guys who aren't going to come in and try to win. And we see that here with Rojas. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, Rojas was just on him from the opening bell. And Lopez just couldn't really do anything about it. You know, he got, got overpowered and overwhelmed. Um, even at times, you know, Lopez was outboxing him at times. But it was just inevitable what was going to happen. And Rojas really got to him. And uh, that was some type of WBA eliminator. So I think he'll either be up to fight, you know, Leo Santa Cruz is the super champ, Myers is the regular champ, and then Claudio Marrero is the interim champ. So, you know, no one can really tell you how the WBA works. (laughs) He'll be mandatory for one of those guys. For sure. Um, any other fight from that card you want to talk about before we move into our new segment? Um, actually, I'm just going to add... Uh, Go ahead. Leo Santa Cruz was... Yeah, him and Mars were actually ordered to fight so they could merge the belts. So I imagine it's going to be... Uh, Rojas going to be mandatory for Claudio Morero. And then... Yeah, I mean, some other stuff on card. Yamaguchi Falcao versus Morgan Fitch. I mean... Morgan Fitch just didn't want it bad enough. You know, he didn't press the fight at all, even when he was losing. And because of that, Falcao was just able to coast. So mm-hmm. I'd like to see Falcao in with someone who's really going to make him work. Like an Antonio Gutierrez or someone like that who's just going to keep pressuring the whole time. Agreed, agreed. Definitely a forgettable bout on the card. Uh um, and again, you know, uh, sometimes it's just those nights. I uh, can't ask for everybody's best all the time, and Fitch didn't didn't have it on this one. Um, but uh, of course, Falcao coming off the the, the KO last. Oh, let me see. It, let me see. German Perez. Uh, I think that you know you always want to see something special when someone wins and moves on. So you're right. Oh yeah, I was at that fight, and it was a disgrace. Yeah. So you want to see movement, is what I mean. You want to see the next bout tell you the story of where this person's headed and we feel like we didn't get it here so i think you're right it's the dance partner and that does come into play a lot um we'll go ahead and head into uh well you know the fights that are going down this weekend uh i'll go ahead and leave it to you if there's any that really stands out um i mean delvin rodriguez is still fighting i didn't know that uh, <laughs> uh, Kiko Martinez. Uh, anyone that you wanna um, uh, really highlight before I go ahead and uh, finish the show on our final segment? No, I mean there's two cards in the UK. You know, there's a Frank Warren show on uh, BT, and then you know the Eddie Hearn show. Basically, Calify his first defense of his world title against Suguru Moranaka. And then I think the best fight on the card is a European title fight between Sam Eggington and uh, Severino Rodriguez. That's going to be a pretty decent fight. You know, Eggington, the pressure fighter, the crude guy. Yeah. Rodriguez is you know more of a kind of a boxer type, but a bit chinny. So I think that's going to be a really good fight. Yeah, Eggington's um, coming off the big uh, 
Yeah, Polly, the big Polly, yeah, big Polly win. Yeah, and then Josh on the Warren card, since you know I'm not going to talk all day about these, even though I could. Um, Josh Warrington versus Kiko Martinez. You know, Kiko's seen better days, but he's still going to give a hundred percent, and he still obviously can still hit hard. And Warrington's not a puncher, so maybe something could go wrong in that fight for Warrington. But uh, Kiko at featherweight is small, and you know, Warrington has really high work rate and is at home, so probably Warrington and you know, Kiko is a good name to have on a resume. So. We'll go ahead and wrap the show up with a new segment. Uh, we are going to go ahead and look at some of the great amateurs. Uh, I'll give him even more. If originally I was going to give Stream Master only the past 10 years, I'll go ahead and give him past 20. Uh, he could use anybody, but we're just going to have a segment where we revisit some of the great amateurs and we tell you why these guys were great. So sometimes it's gold medalist. Sometimes this person that wasn't a gold medalist, but they were a world champion uh, and they were a, you know, uh, Golden Gloves champ in the States or something to that effect. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and give it to the stream master. Give him a couple moments to think because I kind of threw this on him right before the show started. But give us an amateur and tell people what made their, not their pro career, their amateur career. So this could be somebody who didn't have a good pro career at all, but they were something special as an amateur, and why? Well, I'll go with a guy who's a career amateur and probably will never go pro. You know Clemente Russo? Yes. Yeah. The very flamboyant Italian guy who I'm sure everyone... Everyone probably who's you know watched the Olympics boxing probably recognizes him just because he stands out so much. Um, the thing about Russo is he, you know, he, he's actually quite short for the division. You know, he fights at two hundred pounds, so he faces a lot of really big guys, and he's actually fought at you know super heavyweights in uh, WSP and beat some big heavyweights. But uh, he never won. He never won the Olympic gold medal. But uh, he won silver at uh, Beijing and and London. You know, London he lost Usyk. Beijing he lost to uh, Rakim Chakiev. But he won the world championship golds twice, and he's just been like a stalwart of the elite amateur scene for the past thirteen. 13 years, you know, at a senior level, basically, and he's just been around forever, and he's still, he's still going today. Yeah, he's 34. You know? Oh, yeah, <laughs> and, you know, he's, like, he does some of the most widely veteran stuff you will ever see, like, literally, he'll be in the clinch with a guy, and he'll be talking to his corner all the way across the ring at the same time, <laughs> just really, just really nonchalant about it and uh you know he has an italian style where it's really unorthodox you know his like his so he's a short fighter but he fights with his hands at his waist and obviously that's incredibly hard to do you know when you're at such a height disadvantage but he's still able to do it you know and uh yeah i mean i just highlighted russo just because you know he's basically a, a career amateur and he's a character. You know? For sure. And for the folks who are wondering, C-L-E-M-E-N-T-E, 
R-U-S-S-O, Clemente Russo. And if you want to have some... Actually, I just want to add... Uh, go ahead. You should just watch him school Deontay Wilder on YouTube. Yes, it comes up right away. If you Google Clemente, uh, Clemente Russo, it pops up. Like, like it'll say versus Wilder. So definitely good stuff there. And on another funny note, uh, go ahead and go to his images. Go Clemente Russo and then put in images, and you're just going to see some of the most interesting pictures ever. So uh, definitely good stuff. Uh, thanks for listening to us on the podcast. We're, we're grateful to be back. We're grateful for all the people who are retweeting and, um, you know, getting the podcast out there. I, I saw a couple people who asked that, you know, we give them some shout-outs. I'll get you next week. I'll get you next week for sure. But uh, we wanted to go ahead and talk about the big news uh, and then open with our new segment. So thanks, everybody. Uh, Ryan Scalia, say goodbye to the people. Peace out. Peace, everybody.